This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ up here in Cave Creek, Arizona. Well, today we're going to take a look at multiple passages, but I, I want to give you a lesson. I gave this just this past sun, uh, Sunday, in, in doing a series about answering questions about faith. I should probably go back and make sure I get all of these uh, on the radio program, but I like this one. Um, and some people have asked, you know, uh, or commented about it, but I, I wish I could take credit for these things, but you know... It, there are greater men than me. You know, I stand up on the shoulders of great men, and they they compile information, and I find these things, and and it's not it, it's not me. It's I just some of this stuff I, uh, is from me, but most I find from others. And uh, this is a a good series, a good lesson. I really like it, and, and it starts off I think in a, in a really good way. Uh, it talks about a story. That's told of a Sunday school teacher who asked his class, what is faith? And a young boy raised his hand. He answered, oh, that's easy. Faith is believing something you know is not true. (laughs) And, uh, of course, you know, little boy's definition, unfortunately, summarizes, I think, what a lot of people think about faith. For them, and maybe maybe it's you out there right now in in your car, wherever you might be, maybe you believe uh, it is to make a blind leap of faith. Maybe you believe that. And in that thinking, you ha- uh, you, you give up the rational for the irrational. Maybe you don't think that's true, but that, that that's kind of, just bear with me. The truth of the matter is that Christianity is a reasonable faith. And as we will discover in the lesson, Christianity is based on a set of rational historical facts, contrary to being a form of intellectual suicide by the uh, those who don't believe in Christ. But when you give the facts and you give the evidence, believing in Jesus as the Savior and Lord is the most reasonable choice a person can make. Now, I need to be quick to add that certain matters of faith do go beyond reason, but they don't contradict it. So, <clears throat> in this series, I, uh, we talked about uh, or already addressed a few questions. First, we, we talked about what does God think about the questions of doubters and skeptics. And then we looked at does God exist, examining the uh, beholding and reflecting of God. And so today I want us to talk about the Bible truly is the Word of God, or, or is the Bible truly the Word of God? Now, there are many books of writings out there that people look to for spiritual direction. Uh, you got the Koran, that's from the Islam. You have the Book of Mormon, that claims divine origin. The Hindus have their book, and then there's Confucius that people like to read, or maybe the self-help books like Tony Robbins. You got L. Ron Hubbard, who began Scientology. And so what sets the Bible apart from all these and other books and writings? Can we be sure that the Bible is unique and different from all the rest? I believe that we can but before we look at the evidence, let's describe what we mean by the Bible. 
the, the word Bible is from the general Greek word for book. It is, uh, it is revered as the book or the holy book, the holy Bible. It is a collection of 66 different books divided into the two sections of the Old and New Testaments. you got the 39 books that make up the Old Testament written between 1550 B.C. to 400. Uh, we know that the Roman Catholic Church also includes the 15 other books in their Old Testament. They call it the Apocrypha, which means hidden books. Now, they added these books about 500 years ago. They had this council they called Trent. That's when they did that. But the first century church did not have these books. They, they did not add these into, their, into the Bible. So I think I'm going to go with what the first century church did. Then you have the 27 books that make up the New Testament that were written about a 50-year span. And then you have all kinds of different literature. You've got history, poetry, prophecy, biography, songs, laws, and letters. And so it is a library of different kinds of stuff. And the Bible was the first book ever printed on the printing press. It is the best-selling book of all time. Portions of the Bible have been translated into over 2,000 languages. Uh, We are rich in Bibles here in America. Did you know 24% of Americans own at least five Bibles? That's awesome. I wish it was more, but, you know, that's great. And so with that in mind, I want to turn our attention to the evidence that supports the belief that the Bible is the Word of God. And the evidence for the authority of the Bible falls into two main main categories. You've got the internal evidence and the external evidence. So we're going to start with internal. And the first piece of internal evidence is its claim of divine origin. Now, there's relatively few books that actually claim divine origin. You'd expect that a book written by God would claim such a thing. But, of course, just making that claim does not make it so, does it? The Bible claims to be divinely inspired and to contain the very words of God. Nearly 4,000 times, the expressions like, Thus says the Lord, and the, Lord of, uh, the word of the Lord came to me, are recorded in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about the Bible being inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The NLV translates uh, inspired by God as God breathed. It came from the mouth of God, from the mind and heart of God. Peter explains something of inspiration when he says in 2 Peter 1, 20-21, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Um, God put this into the minds and hearts of men, and then they put pen to paper and wrote it down. This is an important first piece of evidence. Number two. Now, you know, actually, wait. Now, that piece of evidence, in and by itself, you know, any skeptic that you would talk to or atheist would just say, okay, so what? That, that means nothing to me. And that's what I want us to look at. We're going to lay out the evidence. And any one of these evidence just sitting by itself doesn't do it. But when you start putting them all together, it becomes irrefutable. And so we have another piece of internal evidence, and that is the unity of the Bible. Uh, the Bible was written by 40 different people, like we already said, over a period of 1,600 years, and yet the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It presents a singular message. Call it a miracle, call it providence. 
it can only be explained by a one divine author, God himself, who is in control of all these things. Imagine today taking ten authors and asking them to write their viewpoints on a controversial subject or asking them to write parts of a story that will later be put together. It would be different. When you look at history books, no one's exactly the same, are they? It's just you pick up one and they say this, and they pick up another and they got a different viewpoint. See, they, they don't, they, even if they consult together, their writings still don't fully match up. There's contradictions. Yet, this is what we have with the Bible. These 40 different authors who lived at different times, wrote in three different languages, and were on three different continents. And they came from different walks of life. Kings, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, prophets, herdsmen. But the perfect unity of the Bible organized around the one theme of God's redemption of humankind and of all creation could never have come about except by the hand of God. So the unity of the Bible is just another important proof of divine inspiration. A third piece of internal evidence is the fulfilled prophecy of the Bible. Hundreds of prophecies of future events are recorded in the Bible. Some of them were written hundreds or even a thousand years before their fulfillment. No other book in history has dared to predict the future to the degree the Bible has. And amazingly, biblical prophecies are batting a thousand. The prophecies in the Bible are very specific and accurate. We all know, at least I think we do, Nostradamus. Nostradamus. He uh, he was a you know lived a while back uh, in Russia, but he claimed to have made hundreds of prophecies that have come true. But when you read those prophecies, you find them to be vague and unclear. His symbols and his language can be taken to mean a number of things. That is not the way it is in the prophecies of the Bible. One of the more convincing prophecies was made by Isaiah. He foretold that a conqueror named Cyrus would destroy seemingly impregnable Babylon and subdue Egypt along with most of the rest of the known world. And then he, uh, he said that this Cyrus would decide to let the Jewish exiles in his territory go free without any payment of ransom. He made that prophecy 150 years before Cyrus was born. 180 years before Cyrus performed any of those acts. 110 years before the Jews were even taken into captivity. And so this king, Cyrus, he would accomplish all these tasks even though he did not know God. He was not Jewish. He was not a believer in God. In other words, he was a pagan. He was an unconscious tool in the hands of God to contribute mightily to the Jewish cause, and so indirectly to the coming of the Anointed One, Jesus the Christ. There are over 300 prophecies made about the Messiah, about the Christ, in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus. And these prophecies were made hundreds of years before Jesus came, and they were things he could not have fulfilled just by knowing about them. Like, for example, the place of his birth, Bethlehem, the tribe he would be born from, Judah, how he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, how he would die, that his hands and feet would be pierced, and that he would be crucified between two thieves, and that none of his bones would be broken. The verifiable track record of prophetic fulfillment is another convincing internal proof for the truthfulness of the Bible. So, 
With all that in mind, now let's, I want us to turn our attention to external evidence that the Bible truly is the Word of God. And the first piece is the Bible's indestructibility. The Bible's indestructibility. It is the most well-known book in the history of the world, and no book has been attacked more than the Bible. Skeptics, <coughs> excuse me, skeptics have tried to rid the world of the Bible, and the efforts to destroy the Bible, those are well known. And it started all the way back in 303 AD by the Roman Emperor Diocletian, an evil man, and a Caesar. Uh, he ordered all Bibles burned, but his efforts failed. Voltaire, the French Enlightenment writer, bragged, it took 12 men to start Christianity, one will destroy it. Well, he failed. He also said that in 100 years, the Bible will be a forgotten book, only to be found in museums. However, a hundred years later, he was dead and his house was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society for the printing and distribution of Bibles. How ironic. Another fellow, uh, Robert uh, Ingersoll, I, I don't even know who this guy is, but he was a, apparently a 19th century atheist, well known. He said this, in 15 years, I will have this book, he was holding the Bible, I'll have this book in the morgue. Fifteen years later, he himself was in the morgue dead. His estate cell, or at his estate cell, a preacher bought his desk and spent his life writing sermons on it. The American revolutionary Thomas Paine wrote this. Now, you know, we, people like Thomas Paine for his uh, writings of common sense, but did you know that toward the end of his life he was hated? In fact, that was funny because just, just today, or last night, um, what's it? Bill O'Reilly spoke about this. I think that's funny. He spoke about how uh, uh, he was loved for uh, his book, Common Sense. But then he wrote several books attacking Christianity at the end of his life. And when he died, no one liked him. And like six people showed up to his funeral and newspapers just kind of panned him. They didn't like him because of that. Now anyway, he wrote this toward the uh, end. Fifty years hence, the Bible will be obsolete and forgotten. He wrote that in 1795, but he was wrong. And many atheistic dictators have tried to keep the Bible out of their empires, out of their countries. Not possible. It is now welcomed and available in China and in Russia. And even though the Arab nations threaten people with the punishment of death, it's so much as a page of the Bible is found on them. And yet the Bible still gets in there, doesn't it? And people take the chance because they want the Bible. Because they have failed to rid the Bible, uh, the world of the Bible, they have tried to discredit and destroy the authority of the Bible. The Bible has gone through every kind of scrutiny possible, from archaeology to science to philosophy, computers, and yet despite all the attacks, the Bible proves itself again and again and again. And so, the Bible's durability and indestructibility is another piece of evidence supporting its divine origin. A second piece of external evidence is the Bible's reliability. Many skeptics believe that the Bible cannot be trusted because the original manuscripts, those documents written by, you know, like Matthew, Isaiah, Paul, all of them, that they, they don't exist. And they conclude that all we have are a few copies of a few copies. And so how could we know that the original Greek or the original Hebrew text actually said. How do we know what they actually said? And that is certainly a good point. 
The original writings uh, by the authors of the Bible are indeed no longer available to us. Those have been, been gone for a long time. But we also need to understand that the originals of other ancient writings, such as Plato, Aristotle, and Caesar, and many others, have all been lost or destroyed. We only have copies of all those great ancient writings. And so, to judge the accuracy of ancient documents, experts, and if this has become a science, they look at a number of important factors, a lot. I'm going to give you a few, but they look at a lot of different things. And some of the things they look at is how close in age the manuscripts come to the original, how many copies of the manuscript there are, how close the, the content of those manuscripts are to, the, uh, to one another. And all that is, a, of course, is a science of its own. And with most ancient writings, relatively few copies are available, and the time span between the original and the oldest copy is pretty, pretty great. For example, Plato. Has, we only have seven copies in existence, and the closest to the original is 1,200 years removed. That's a long time. And yet, everyone agrees that the chances that there are, uh, the copies we have are 99.9% accurate. That's what, that's what we would go ahead and say that. The work is of Aristotle, 37 copies in existence. Time span, 1,400 years. But everyone agrees that we have the manuscripts of or the, or the actual writings of Aristotle, and that they are intact. Same with Caesar's uh, work on the Gaelic Wars. Ten copies, closest original, a thousand years removed. The uh, Homer's Iliad, 643 copies, 500 years span between the original and the oldest. So, how does our New Testament compare? Well, we have almost 25,000 copies 25,000 copies, and there is only an 80-year span between the original and the oldest copy. Did you know that? Furthermore, we have a fragment, a, a section of the Gospel of John that dates to around 29 years from the original writing. And this is not including all the times people quote or reference the Bible in that time period. That's amazing. Now, the gap, the gap between the uh, when the Old Testament was written in our earliest known manuscripts, that's larger than the New Testament. And uh, for a long time, people would always say, well, of course Jesus uh, was able to you know, keep, keep all these uh, prophecies because the prophecies were written after the events because that's all we had. We only had uh, Old Testament manuscripts that were written after the events of the New Testament. So, boy, that was... What was your argument for, for skeptics? Well, you know, that was written after the fact. So, of course, he was able to fulfill the prophecies. Well, they were able to make that argument until 1948 and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, in which the oldest manuscripts of the Old Testament were found, and, it, and those things were uh, written before Jesus was ever born. And so they took those manuscripts, they compared them to our Old Testament to see how accurate our Old Testament. They, were, they thought, we're going to find all kinds of discrepancies, right? No. No. They, when they compared, they found only minor misspellings and variant words, but there was none, no, none, zero, zilch, substantial difference between them. The reliability of the biblical text is a remarkable story. And the fact that the text has been so accurately preserved is another evidence of divine origin. You see how it's stacking up one after another? All right, the third piece of external evidence is the Bible's historical and archaeological accuracy. No one has ever proved it uh, otherwise. 
The more we learn of history, the more the Bible is verified, or validated, I should say. Hundreds of statements in the Bible, which in times past have been held as untrue by the enemies of the Bible, have recently been proved by archaeologists. Nelson Gulick, a renounced Jewish archaeologist, states, No archaeological discovery has ever controverted the biblical reference. Dr. William Albright, who was not a friend of Christianity and the foremost authority in the Middle East archaeology in his time, said about the Bible, There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the uh, sustainable historicity of the Old Testament. Sir William Ramsey, a well-known archaeologist and historian in the 20th century, talking about Luke and his writings. He said, I take the view that Luke's history is unsurpassed in its trustworthiness. You may press the words of Luke in a degree beyond any other historian, and they will stand the keenest of scrutiny in the harsh and the harshest treatment. That's amazing. That's a good, that's awesome. The important thing to realize is that the Bible is historically and archaeologically reliable, which again is an important in establishing its trustworthiness and divine origin. And I want to conclude this with one final piece of ex- external evidence, and that is what we're going to call dynam- the dynamic impact of the Bible. The difference the Bible makes in the lives of those who sincerely seek to apply its message. The Bible says this about itself in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Countless lives have been transformed by the power of God's word. Have you ever heard somebody say, I was an outcast, I was a wretched man, a disgrace to my race and a nuisance to the world until I began to study mathematics and learn the multiplication table, right? No one ever says that. But you probably heard people say that concerning the Bible, how the Bible transformed their lives. It's changed the lives of drug addicts, homosexuals. It's changed the lives of criminals, atheists, and sinners. And I want to share... One more story from World War II, the end of it. Uh, I could not verify this. Maybe you could. But it has to do with this fellow, war correspondent, Clarence Hill. He gave uh, this testimony. I can never think of the boons and benefits that the Bible invariably brings without thinking of Shamabuku, a tiny village I came upon as a war correspondent in Okinawa. As the U.S. soldiers moved across the island of Okinawa, the soldiers found villages of unbelievable poverty, ignorance, and filth. But then they found a small, obscure community named Shimabuku. And this community was different. The homes and the streets were clean, and the villagers were poised, cultured, and prosperous. Why was it different? Because an American missionary on his way elsewhere 30 years before the war in Japan had paused in Shimabuku. He stayed there long enough to make two converts, gave them a couple of hymns, gave them a Japanese translation of the Bible, and he left. They had no contact with any other Christians since. But during those 30 years, that Bible became the guidance of that that community. They adopted the Ten Commandments as their legal code, the Sermon on the Mount as their guide to social conduct. The Bible was taught as their chief literature in their schools, and uh, they memorized from it. They had drawn their ideas of human dignity from it, and then their rights and the responsibilities of citizenship from it. And the result was plain to see. For years, they had no jail, no brothel, no drunkenness, no divorce, and there was a high level of health and happiness. That's what the Bible did for them. And so if you have an atheistic friend, 
If you have a friend who is a skeptic of the Bible, work with them where they're at. Don't expect them to go from where they're at to where you're at. That's not going to happen. And, and, and in truth, the evidence is only to get them thinking. It's nev- There's never going to be evidence that's going to make them think, oh, man, I'm, I'm all wrong, and you were right all along. That doesn't happen. The evidence, all that's going to do is get them to think about it. Think of it like this. You, you, you give somebody an apple seed, and you give them this apple seed, and you tell them that apple seed is going to grow into an apple tree. It's going to provide for you green apples. They're going to be large. They're going to be lush. They're going to be sweet. It's going to be the best apples you've ever had. And they can take that seed, look at it under a microscope. They can cut it up. They can weigh it. They can smell it. They can examine it, take it to the professionals and uh, experts and talk about it. They can go look to see what other people have done with the apple seed. But that will do nothing for them until they take that seed and plant it themselves and allow it to grow and let it nourish and they take care of it until it produces fruit and they can taste of the fruit for themselves. That's the only time they will ever know for sure. And it's the same with skeptics and the Bible. And that's the way it will always be. Never expect evidence to bring them to where you're at. Evidence is only going to bring them to a point where they're willing to give it a try so that they can see if it is true or not. So you've got to get them to take the seed of the Word, the Word of God, and look at it. Here's the evidence that these things are true. What it says it can do for your life, it will do for your life. But until they actually plant the seed in their, in their hearts, they will never know for certain. The evidence is simply to get them to think and to reason about the Word of God. Work with people where they're at and bring them closer to God. That, that is what we are looking for. That is what we want to do. Well, this is a new year. And maybe some of my uh, listeners out there are skeptics. Maybe you're, you've been wondering about these things. And maybe this has you know, spawned some thoughts in your mind. I encourage you to continue listening to this program. I encourage you to come up here to the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cave Creek, Arizona. Visit with us on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings or Wednesday nights. Talk with me. Talk with Alex or Mick, one of our elders. We are more than willing to sit down and talk to you about the Word to work with you where you're at. We want you to know. We want you to know the truth. Not ours, but the Bible's. And we all work toward bettering ourselves and maturing ourselves in Christ. But we got to make most of the time we have because the days are evil. Don't take too much time to think about it. Come and learn with us. Thank you, and God bless. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.